Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good. This is Liz, and I have Shana, and we are the birth nurses. And in today's podcast, we're going to talk about advocation. How do we advocate for our patients and not alienate the obstetrician? That's it's a, a tricky... really good question. Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica. We are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we talk about birth and nursing practice and labor and delivery, and in a broader sense, the whole world of nursing too. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a first-time pregnant parent, a parent to one or more babies, or a professional in the birth world, this podcast is for you. Join me and Liz and special guests as we share and learn from each other here on the Birth Nurses Podcast. The nurse-patient relationship is so important. When I'm teaching my birth classes, I tell my clients, your nurse will be your bestie. <laughs> when you're in labor and delivery because you want to have great communication with them. You want to explain what your birth plan or your birth wish is so that the nurse can advocate for you to get you as close as possible to accomplishing your birth wish. And sometimes that's even tricky. Yeah. Sometimes when there's things within the birth plan that are unrealistic or not safe. Yeah. We have to have that conversation and kind of tease it all out and sit down and go line by line. Yeah. And even say like, we'll try, we'll try our best, Yeah, but let's see how things go, especially with, I don't know, delayed cord clamping. Well, let's see how baby's doing at birth and we may need to get baby to the warmer right away or we can do that delayed cord clamping. But more about the the nurse patient relationship. It's a funny relationship because you're basically strangers and then you need to learn how to communicate and work together. <laughs> well, right? in, in OB we're strangers and we get really up close and personal pretty quickly. Yes. <laughs> you become close friends. That's another thing I say to when I was working in labor and delivery, I would say, "Well, I've gotten to know you a little bit and now I'm going to do a cervical exam." So We'll get to know each other real well. (laughs) (laughs) But it's such a vulnerable time for the patient. And I think that's what helped me most in my nursing career was, first of all, I became a mom before I became a nurse Mm -hmm. and just putting myself in their shoes. Right. And like, okay, how did I feel when I was giving birth? And how, how do they feel right now? Or how do they likely feel? They're exposed vulnerable. They're in this ugly gown and their butt's hanging out. I discourage the ugly gown, by the way. Oh, it's gross. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're getting to know a nurse who is taking care of them. And pretty quickly, they have to build trust with each other. And I think that starts with communicating and kindness and, and needing to find some kind of connection point. And that could be pretty surface level at first. Right. Even like, oh, where do you live? Or, oh, yeah, I know that area. For me, a lot of times it was just talking about the age of my kids and, oh, you have another child? Oh, cool. Yeah, I have a four-year-old too. And and getting that connection point 
so that that trust will be built and that rapport will be built so that when something sticky comes up that's going to interfere with the patient's birth wish, there's those open lines of communication for the, the patient to be like, I don't know about this. What do you think? And the flip side is when you have a patient who you can see has a lot of walls, they aren't very trusting, they're quiet, maybe sometimes flat, having difficulty communicating or just don't want to, don't give Mm -hmm. eye contact, Mm -hmm. and you have to work hard for it. Yeah. 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 Another thing that comes into play is the, yeah, like you said, the patient's personality, but also the the nurse's personality. Right. And sometimes those don't mix. Like outside of the hospital, you would not be friends with that person, but you have to learn to work together. I think another thing that comes into play is where in the shift the patient comes into the hospital right. for the nurse. Absolutely. Very beginning of the shift. Okay, you got a fresh nurse. She was just at home, fresh makeup, you know, you're feeling good. Or not. Or not, yeah, but you got breakfast, hopefully. Did you forget who your podcast partner was? (laughs) (laughs) But if it's towards the middle of the shift or the end of the shift when the nurse is feeling run down and then she's got to put on this face of like, okay, I've got a new person. She doesn't know my day. She doesn't know what I went through that I had two crash C-sections and a vaginal delivery that was wonky. Like, we we just have to go right into this because she doesn't need to know all of Yeah, that's a huge thing. I mean, even in the morning sometimes after three decades plus of doing this, while I'm putting my scrubs on, Mm -hmm. I have to have a little sit down with myself. Right. Okay. You know, shake it off. Yeah. And get in there and, hi, good morning, mm-hmm. put on a happy face. Mm-hmm. And it's not the patient's responsibility to read my bad mood right. or I don't want to be there or I'm tired or I didn't sleep well. I think patients can really pick up on that. The other thing is sometimes I'm going to admit when I get off on the wrong foot, I know that I have to regroup and make it better. Mm. and. It's me. I'm That's questioning too much. Why is it say? Why are you doing <laughs> X, Y, and Z? And if you put your patient on the defensive and you figure it out, mm-hmm. then it's your job to try to make it right. Yeah. Hey, this is Shana Brickner. I'm an international board certified lactation consultant, and I want to let you know something really exciting. I can accept many more insurances for lactation visits now. If you have Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Cigna, Oscar, United Healthcare, or TRICARE West, and soon Aetna and HealthNet, then it's likely that we can have six or more lactation visits covered by your insurance. This can be a home visit or virtual visit if you're not in LA. If the financial side of things have been holding you back from setting up an appointment with me or any other lactation consultant, don't let it. Email me or go to my website, which is www.preparented.com to schedule a visit with me for any lactation issue. This could be low or high milk supply, clogged ducts, pumping issues, latching issues, bottle feeding, 
tongue tie or lip tie, using a nipple shield, positioning difficulties, introducing solid food or even weaning. I can help you with all of those things and I would love to help you reach your breastfeeding goals. Reach out to me at preparented.com or email me and my link is in the show notes. Hope to hear from you soon. So how do we as nurses advocate for our patients? We build that relationship. Right. Step one, we build that trust. Then when there's some kind of friction, it's typically behind the scenes at first. Right. In our last episode, when we talked about the nurse OB relationship, that should always be behind the scenes, right? Like in the nurse's station or in a, a room that's off to the side of the nurse's station. And the patient hopefully is protected from any kind of conflict between the nurse and the OB. But when there's something that comes up in the nurse patient relationship, or maybe the obstetrician is suggesting an intervention or a procedure and it's against the original birth wish or birth plan, Mm -hmm. then the nurse is in this mediating position in the middle of like how how do we advocate for for you the patient and not alienate the obstetrician not make the obstetrician the bad guy or the bad woman (laughs) right and i think that one of the things that i tell my patients right off the bat if there's anything that you don't understand or there's anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or that you question it is completely fair to ask for evidence. Yeah. I would like to start oxytocin because your contractions are still only four minutes apart. What's the evidence behind needing to augment my labor mm. if I'm already starting to efface and dilate? Yeah. I'm moving rush. forward. It just doesn't happen to be on your timeline. Right. So if there's no evidence, I'm not getting a temperature, I'm clear leaking clear fluid or not at all, any of those, Mm -hmm. it's fair to ask for evidence. First baby in early labor before six centimeters. Right. What's the rush? What's the rush? Yeah. Then the nurse's perspective, I think there's an element of like trying to save face for the obstetrician. Right. This is so tricky. So tricky. Especially if the nurse doesn't agree with what the obstetrician wants to do. Right. How do we go about that? I usually (laughs) try a little sort of side door entrance into this. So Mm -hmm. how are you feeling about that conversation you Mm -hmm. just had? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't really understand A, B, and C. And of course, my response in my head is then, why didn't you just ask that right there? Right. You know, she's standing right there. (laughs) Ask her. I don't really understand. So I'm going to tell you what this means. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you what the community standard is for this situation and i'm going to give you the evidence and then you decide yeah that's shared decision making when shared decision making the patient gets all the information benefits right. risks and then can decide mm-hmm. for herself yeah what i want what they want to do i would approach it similarly in the hospital when i was working in labor and delivery and a lot of times the patient would ask me well what would you do if this was your babe, if you were in my position, what would you do? And that was a tough question because 
I wouldn't have gotten induced at 39 weeks for no right? reason. That's what I would have done. <laughs> um, so bye. And what I usually would say was, well, this is what I did do with right. my first birth or my second birth, whatever. And for your situation, I would usually go the same way that, that you would go. Say mm-hmm. the benefits, the risks, assure them it's not harmful to your baby if you need more time to right. think about it. You know, it's an interesting thing, Shana. And this comes up more often than not lately. When you're questioning somebody about why they're doing a certain intervention, it's hard for it not to sound accusatory or judgy. Yeah. Right? I don't want to be judgmental. However, it's important to get that information and to make sure that my patient has informed consent. This actually just happened to me at work. Hmm. And there was another nurse in the room who tried to do damage control, and it really bothered me. Because I was having a conversation with this patient who I was literally about to put an IV in her arm and asked her why she was doing A, B, and C. And the other nurse said, you know, we don't, you know, you don't have to explain. You don't have, trying, you know, trying to make it better. It's like, I want to know if this person is signing on the dotted line because they have informed consent. And Especially before you poke them with an IV. (laughs) This is a... This is an important way to advocate for your patient. I, on many more occasions in the last few years, have had a conversation with my patient, and then they've said, you know what? I think I've changed my mind. There's no reason medically why I need to be here, Mm -hmm. and I think I want to go home and be pregnant for another week and see what happens. And I know when I get on the phone to call Dr. Obstetrician, (laughs) I am going to get lambasted, you know. I could just feel it coming, but whatever. It was the patient's decision. Not my problem. Right. I gave her information. Yeah. And just the flip side, I don't want to be induced. I think this is wrong. And I'm like, these are the three reasons why this is the right decision for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes that is the case, especially since we have a bigger population of people with comorbidities. Absolutely. Comorbidities are more than one medical diagnosis that can increase maternal fetal morbidity and mortality. High blood pressure, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we have an older population of moms. It's just a fact. It doesn't mean that everybody's sick. It doesn't mean that everybody has to be induced. But with more medical interventions to become pregnant, such as IVF, or multiple losses that required D's and C's, uterine surgery, fibroids, laparoscopic surgery, open cases, those increase morbidity. And we have to really look at that and understand it. I always think it's interesting also when a patient comes into the hospital knowing, and then we've had the conversation, they know why they're there, and then now we're down the rabbit hole of I don't really want to be here. Mm, that's Maybe. really tough. Those are, the, to those, are, to... those are difficult conversations. Yeah, but pull them the other way. The hardest thing is calling the obstetrician and said, look, there's conflict here. Mm-hmm. So I need you to come in and I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with your patient because yeah. she doesn't want her membranes ruptured at one centimeter. Mm-hmm. And I was in agreement with her. Right? Yeah. And I think... As a nurse, we are obligated to listen to our patient, to honor what they want to do with their bodies. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
So and what are the questions to ask Dr. So-and-so? Or how do we broach the subject? Yeah. What do we say to the obstetrician? Dr. Think So-and-so, I got a problem. Mm-hmm. The patient is questioning why you want to come in and rupture her membranes at one centimeter. She does not want you to come in and do this. These are the reasons why, and this is the evidence for holding off. Mm-hmm. And she understands this. Mm-hmm. Can we wait a couple of hours? Sometimes I'll just slip in. I don't want it to sound like a finite thing. Right. Like we're not doing it at all. Like, can you just see some patients in the office and let's revisit this at noon? Perfect. And I think sometimes that works. That bought a few more hours. Just give us a few more hours to let her dilate a little bit more. Yep. I'm Elizabeth Baker Wade. I am a labor and delivery nurse, registered nurse birth educator and podcaster. My birth education classes are concentrated on how to have a better hospital birth and high-risk pregnancy. What's high risk? What does that mean? High risk are moms who are experiencing histories of chronic hypertension, pregnancy-induced hypertension, we call that preeclampsia, insulin-dependent diabetes, infertility, and other comorbidities in their pregnancy, which bump them into a higher risk category. Mm. Why do you like to teach about high risk pregnancies? Because there's gonna be more interventions often in the high risk mom and getting familiar with the vernacular and understanding the risk benefit of these interventions and why your obstetrician is gonna bring them up and getting prepared for what's gonna happen in the hospital, I think can really greatly reduce fear and anxiety and a lot of moms out there have comorbidities these days. That's true. We need to help them out on their way. Making peace with intervention when necessary helps for a better, smoother labor and delivery, I how, think. How can someone sign up for your class? They can go to birthandbeyond.net. You can email me at liz at birthandbeyond.net. I will respond within 24 hours. All my schedules, fees, and times are on my website. I also have a consultation membership and a text me anything membership for a month at a time where I will answer as many texts as you need for questions that come up out of the blue. Lots of texts come after the appointment, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just had an appointment with my OB and I what don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm at birthandbeyond.net. I like using the acronym BRAIN. I think we've talked about this before. Love BRAIN. B is benefits. Mm -hmm. R is risks. A is alternatives. I is intuition. And N is nothing or you need more time. I teach that in my birth class Mm -hmm. to my clients. Me too. And they're like, their mind is blown. Like, Mm -hmm. oh. I have a choice. I have agency. Oh my goodness. But I think the nurse can use that too. Right. To be like, okay, the patient wants this, <laughs> the nurse, the obstetrician wants this. What are the benefits? What are the risks? Alternatives, intuition, mm-hmm. need more time. And a lot of times I think for me, when I was nursing, it was hard to put a- aside my own feelings mm-hmm. because I have a more natural bent towards unmedicated or low intervention birth. Mm-hmm. Anytime a big procedure or intervention was 
introduced, I'd question that in myself. Is this really necessary? But also, I needed to stay in my lane. Right. If the patient was in agreement, got the, you know, informed consent from her obstetrician, then that's the decision. Right. Yeah. I always find it interesting. I've talked about this many, many times in our podcast. When a patient comes in and I ask them why they're being induced, they answer because my doctor says it's time or my baby's getting big or some reason that is outside the community standard. Mm -hmm. That's problematic for me. And I have to take a deep breath. And (laughs) Another helpful resource, we've mentioned this before, is evidence-based birth. We are big evidence-based birth fans. You can go on their website and they have articles about all the things we're talking about. If you are curious, oh, what should I do if I have a big baby? You literally type in the search bar big Mm -hmm. baby. Right. And you'll get some articles that pop up and you can read what is the evidence on inducing for a large baby or C-section for a large baby or the estimated fetal weight, the percentage of error. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Margin of error. (laughs) Margin of error. Mm -hmm. So, and they have a podcast as well. So you can scroll through. I think also when we're talking to our listeners out there, there are ways to approach people, obstetricians, doctors of any kind that might be a little bit more, um, less intense than I'm just not doing this. Like, okay, I understand what you want to do. And here's the evidence that I've learned about. Could we just meet in the middle somewhere? Having more conversations with your obstetrician that can even start in the office. Definitely. Always interested when they come to the hospital and they're getting all of this information here. If you need more time with your obstetrician to ask the questions, I'm 36 weeks. Why are we talking about an induction date four weeks from now, three yeah. weeks from now? It's not, you know, we're not even close. Mm-hmm. I would like to know what your thinking is because now it's been planted in your head. Right. And you ruminate about it. And I think that that rumination can cause physical manifestations. It's just me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to address those things in your last few OB visits. Yes. And then what happens when we are really in conflict with the obstetrician? What do we do as nurses? Well, those conversations need to be taken place in private. Mm -hmm. If you have to involve your charge nurse, please do. And then in every hospital, there is an obstetrics committee, there's a committee chairperson. There's a head of OB. There is, you know, my favorite thing, a chain of command. (laughs) And if you believe that something's going to happen that may cause harm or increase morbidity or unfavorable outcome, I think it's the nurse's obligation to go up the chain and say, I'm in disagreement with you. I feel very strongly about this and I'm going to go up my chain and there's only so far you can go. Yeah. Especially when you have seen the negative side of things when those interventions are put in place. Correct. At the wrong time. Correct. Wrong patient. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you see the risks play out. It's really tricky. And then you want to avoid that situation. Now to 
kind of be on the obstetrician side a little bit. Yeah, let's go there. Not that we're ever against right, them, no, but I know what you mean. Yeah, they've seen the risky and the bad situations too. Right. So when they suggest an intervention, it could be because they've had a bad experience about not introducing that intervention. Correct. So let's say they see a really poor fetal strip Mm -hmm. and they've had something very similar to this before and they didn't do the C-section and Mm -hmm. then saw some poor outcomes. Right. So now they're more inclined to just jump on suggesting the C-section because they don't want poor outcomes again. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that makes total sense. And then, of course, out there in the country, we're talking to nurses from all over the United States. We have resident hospitals, Mm -hmm. teaching hospitals, private hospitals, young doctors, doctors with 30 years of experience. So you have to read the room. Yes. Find out who you're talking to and sometimes educate. Yeah. Yeah. I think my big issue is when there's coercion and fear mongering definitely yeah fear tactics used Mm -hmm. from the obstetrician like oh if you don't do this then you know the the fetal mortality rate increases significantly and then the patient's like whoa i don't want my baby to die right is that really like did we go from zero to 60 right there? Right. Or, and I have yeah. heard that kind of language in the labor room. Mm-hmm. And, well, I'm not responsible for what happens then if we don't do oh. A, B, and C. That is a really loaded thing yeah. to say. Yeah. 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 Then the patient feels stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like, right. well, what do I do? What does that mean? What does that mean? Is that evidence-based decision? Mm-hmm. That's the question that the patient can ask. Is there evidence supporting what you want to do? If there is, show it to me. Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation about it, and then I'll make a decision. It's very fair. Yeah, or they may feel like, well, I don't want my doctor to abandon me because I didn't choose what they wanted me to choose. Right. I think most of the obstetricians that I work with are pretty open to conversations, Mm -hmm. and some are you know, much more conservative than others. Others are more midwifery-ish. I'm like, okay, I'll call back in a few hours. Let's kind of see where we are. Yeah. So thank goodness this mm-hmm. is not, this is not the rule. Right. By any means, by any stretch. But again, the nurse can go up the chain of command if she feels like there's something that's going to happen. Documentation is key. Yep. Very, very important to document. What um, the patient says. Right. And what yeah, what uh, has been explained to the patient about right. the intervention. And have your patient be clear. I'm not giving permission for this to mm-hmm. happen. Or I, Yeah, I do not consent. I do not mm-hmm. consent. It's good. Again, gotten to some heavy things. This piggybacks off of our last episode about uh, the relationship between the nurse and the obstetrician. And the nurse-patient relationship is probably one of the most important Absolutely. Because that nurse is going to be your advocate. We want you to have a smooth labor and delivery and to not have birth trauma. Yeah. We will be talking about when your nurse doesn't feel like your nurse is your advocate mm-hmm. and what happens if we had third parties in the room. Yeah. So we have multiple opinions. That's family members, doulas, doulas. Mm-hmm. well-meaning friends who are weighing in. 
and uh, we need to get back to that. Yep. Okay, everybody, advocate for your patient, go up the chain, document, provide evidence. Mm -hmm. Awesome. See you later. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.